the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. News, WTBN, Pinellas Park. Now, folks, I got to tell you that the very same spirit of religious hypocrisy lives on today in the lives of some Christians who love to be noticed and recognized and honored for giving large donations to a church or a ministry organization or even to, to an individual. They long for public recognition, and the sad thing is they often get it. It is sometimes a challenge for church leaders to deal with donors who demand public recognition. Welcome to Verse by Verse with Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Today, Pastor Steve will be wrapping up this final message dealing with the Sermon on the Mount. If you can follow in your Bible, turn to Matthew chapter 6. Here's Pastor Steve with some important principles for us to remember when we give. And so having already given us the broad general principle in verse 1, the broad principle that makes sure that when you do a righteous deed, you do it not for the praise and glory of man. Jesus now takes the next few verses to illustrate how this truth applies to the area of giving, giving money or material goods. He will then address the area of prayer, public praying, as well as fasting. And he does this with giving by telling us two key truths about righteous giving. The first key truth is this. We are not to give for the applause of men. We are not to give for the applause of men. Let's begin by looking at verse 2. So when you give, meaning you in contrast to the hypocrites, when you give to the poor, do not sound the trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets so that they may be honored by men. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full. Now, the first thing we need to, to know about this statement is the kind of giving that Jesus is referring to. It's, it's not just giving in general. It's, it's giving called alms, A-L-E. MS or almsgiving. In fact, it's probably translated that way in some of your versions. But uh, basically, alms or almsgiving meant charitable giving, merciful giving, giving to those who are poor, those who are needy. It's a gift of, of mercy. Now, in many evangelical circles, we, we hardly hear anything about giving to the poor, perhaps because so many pastors are, are busy trying to raise funds for their own churches to grow that they neglect what the Bible has to say about giving to the poor. But the Bible has a lot to say about it, much to say about merciful giving, because in the ancient world, poverty was a major problem. Always poor people. In fact, Jesus said, the poor you always have with you. That's true. So the Bible, from cover to cover, speaks about this. The Old Testament law constantly spoke about this, about giving to the poor. Leviticus 25, verse 35 especially Deuteronomy 15, starting at verse 7 and going all the way to verse 14, spoke about, about being merciful and giving to the poor and not hardening your heart. Proverbs, the, the wisdom books, of which Proverbs is, is very much one, constantly addresses the issue of, of those in poverty and where to, where to give to them. 
The prophets spoke about this, both the minor and the major prophets, meaning the, the smaller Old Testament prophetic books, minor books, minor prophets, and the larger ones. They all speak about that, about not to neglect the poor. Every single prophet addresses that. And because ministering to the poor is an act of righteousness in every age, not just the Old Testament era, the New Testament is also filled with references about giving to those in need. You may not realize this, but the Bible tells us in John 13, 29, that Jesus and his disciples had a money bag they carried with them from which they gave to the poor. They had a money bag. It's a sad thing that Judas was the treasurer, but they had a money bag. And they ministered to the poor. The Lord was thinking about that. In Galatians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul said that, that when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that I had been called by God to preach the gospel to the Gentiles and they to the, to the Jews, they extended, he said, they extended to me the right hand of fellowship. But in doing that, they reminded me to always remember the poor. You'll, you'll find that in Galatians 2, 9 and 10. And Paul says that I, I do that. I am eager to take care of, of the poor. James, in his little New Testament book, specifically makes giving to the poor an evidence of the genuineness of our faith. Let me just show you this. James chapter 2. James says that if you're really a believer, you're going you're to demonstrate it by your faith. And your faith will prove to be genuine because you'll not neglect the poor. James chapter 2, verse 14. What use is it, my brethren, if someone says he has faith, but he has no works? Can that faith save him? Meaning that type of faith. Is that, is that really salvation faith? The answer is no. And then he gives an illustration. If a brother or a sister is without food, without clothing rather, and in need of daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace. Be warmed and be filled, and yet you do not give them what is necessary for their body. What use is that? Even so, faith, if it has no works, is dead being by itself. That's like saying you see someone who's poor and you have the resources and you go, I'll pray for you. And James says, what good is that? That's not real faith. You have not truly been born again if, if that's the continued attitude of your heart. John says the same thing. In, in 1 John chapter 3, talks about the love of the brethren. And the love of the brethren ministers to people's physical needs. So giving to those who are in need of material goods is extremely important because the Bible commands it. It's not an isolated truth. It's a critical truth. Therefore, it ought to be the practice of every believer in Christ. And in case you're wondering, well, how, how can we do that today? When we, how can we give to the poor today? Well, you know what? Even in, in the midst of our own congregation, there are people who are in need. There are people who are in need. In fact, that's one reason we take, uh, in fact, that is the primary reason. In fact, it is the sole reason we take our benevolent <laughs> fund offering. I'm trying to think, are there other reasons? No, that's it. We take a benevolent fund offering. There are, there are individuals who are out of work. Not because they refuse to work, but because they're just not working. They have needs. They're poor like that. There are poor young married couples just getting started in life. They have all kinds of needs. There are those who have been hit hard by medical emergencies, other type of emergencies. They have financial needs. There are seniors who are barely getting by on Social Security. They have needs, and there are others too. So even in, in our context of our own local church, there are people who would be considered poor and, and in need. In fact, isn't it interesting that 
when Jesus in this sermon speaks about giving, there's no command for us to give. I find that very interesting, and I'll tell you why there's no command. The reason he doesn't command us to give is because it is assumed that those who have been transformed by his grace are already giving to the poor. In other words, it goes without saying that if you're a a follower of the king, that you're going to be involved in giving, because in his day, every Jewish person gave. So that's why there's no exhortation to give. It's assumed that the same thing about praying, same thing even about fasting. It's assumed that you're doing that. The king shouldn't have to tell us to give. Every every believer should know that you, you give, and it's not my purpose to go into what the Bible teaches about giving. We have tapes on that, and I would encourage you to do that, but, but giving is important. If you're not giving, you're in sin. You ought to be giving, and you ought to be giving not only to the poor, you ought to be giving to where you're, you're fed locally in a local church and as I said, it's not my goal. I'm, I'm not a fundraiser, and that's not my goal, but it is my goal to teach you. That's what the Bible says, and the Bible assumes that, that believers give, and, and part of their giving is to give to the poor. However, the problem, though I said the, that all, all Jewish people in our Lord's day gave, it was, it was the thing to do. They gave to the poor, but the problem with some of them, in particular the religious leaders, was that when they gave, they wanted everyone to know that they gave so that they would be honored as such generous, righteous men. Here's how Jesus described their their giving in verse 2. So when you give, meaning you who are my followers, you give to the poor, do not sound the trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets so that they may be honored by men. What Jesus is saying is that when the Pharisees gave money to the poor, I mean, I almost can't say this without laughing. They blew a trumpet in order to announce their giving and to advertise their righteousness. Now, I have to say that nowhere in ancient Jewish writings is there any historical evidence that literal trumpets were blown when people gave. It's possible that that's what the Lord means, that literally they blew trumpets. But we can't find any ancient Jewish writings that that support that that literally they did that. So it would appear that Jesus was using symbolic language as, as we would in our day to say that the wrong way to give is to draw attention to yourself by blowing your own horn. That's the thought in order to impress others. But regardless of whether the Pharisees used literal trumpets or or uh, they, they, it was symbolic language or they just, whatever way they did, call attention to their giving. We know that they loved the praise and the approval of men. That's what they were all about. That's why Jesus condemned them. In fact, let me just read this to you. In John chapter 5, verse 44, speaking of them, Jesus said, How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and you do not seek the glory that is from the one and only God? There are other references to that same concept in the New Testament. They sought the glory from one another. They didn't seek the glory from God. They didn't care about God. That's why Jesus condemned them. They looked like they cared, but they didn't at all. They didn't care what God said. They didn't care whether their deeds pleased him or not. All they craved was the recognition and the applause that came from others. Now, folks, I got to tell you that the very same spirit of religious hypocrisy lives on today in the lives of some Christians who love to be noticed and recognized and honored for giving large donations to a church or a ministry organization or even to to an individual. 
They long for public recognition. And the sad thing is they often get it. Why do they get it? Because there are some Christian organizations who cater to the flesh by resorting to all sorts of unbiblical methods in order to attract large contributors. And so they entice big givers by promising them recognition through such things as as publishing their names as the largest donors with the amount of their donation right next to their name so that everybody could see it. They announce their names at uh, special high-profile banquets, and everybody applauds. Listen, I've, I've been to them. I've been to them. Oh, everybody applauds. You know what I always think of? What about the poor widow who Jesus said gave more than all of the Pharisees? They're not applauding her, but God is. So they announce their names, special high-profile banquets, everybody ooing and aahing over their generosity. They, uh, they give them plaques and, and certificates uh, with their names boldly on it. And I'll tell you what, if your gift is large enough, they'll name a specific project after you. Now listen, regardless of whether or not you, you've ever been honored like this, and regardless of whether or not you even have uh, a lot of money to, to give, that's not the issue. That's not the issue, whether you're a large donor or a small donor or, or whether they have actually honored you for your giving is not the issue. The issue is the desire to be honored. That's the sin. The desire to be honored, whether you've been honored or not, is, is not even the point. The desire to be honored by men for your contribution in giving makes you like a self-centered Pharisee, and it's wrong. It, it's pure hypocrisy. It's hypocrisy because you are giving the impression that you are generous and that your only concern is for the welfare of others. But behind that facade is the truth that your real concern is to look good in the eyes of others. You give the appearance of being righteous by giving a gift when in reality, you're really unrighteous because your true motivation is not to give, it's to get. You're trying to purchase by your gift glory, recognition. That's why Jesus said you're an actor. You're playing the role of Mr. or Mrs. Generosity, but in reality, you're just trying to purchase man's applause, the reward of men's praise. And this is the reward you seek. And and if that's true, that's the only reward you'll ever have for your financial contributions. Because Jesus ended verse 2 by saying, truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. It's very interesting. The verb that is translated uh, have here was used in the ancient Greek world as a technical term to speak of commercial transactions, often found on receipts, meaning paid in full. Paid in full, there's no more. So what Jesus means here is that that if you give money in order to get the praise of others, then you have had your complete, you've been given your complete reward. It's paid in full. There's no more coming to you. You received your reward in full. Folks, what that means is that it's possible to be the most generous Christian individual and still have no reward waiting you in glory because you gave for the wrong reason. You received your complete reward of praise on earth. There is no more. Now, that's an issue of the heart. That's, that's not saying that people shouldn't, shouldn't give a lot or, or a little. It's saying that you ought to be careful of why you give. And so Jesus gave the, the first key truth about righteous giving is this, that we are not to give for the applause of men. That's the way hypocrites give. There's a second key truth about righteous giving, and it's this. We are to give for the approval of God. We don't give it for the applause of men, but we are to give for the approval of God. And the Lord spells this out in verse 3. But when you give to the poor, 
you who are not hypocrites, you who are my followers, when you give to the poor, don't, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving will be in secret and your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And isn't this interesting? Jesus said that in contrast to the Pharisees who wanted everybody to know about their giving, we are to be so private and so discreet in our giving that even our left hand is not to know what our right hand is doing. Now, how could that be? How could that be? Well, I have to tell you, the Lord cannot be speaking in literal language here. He can't be speaking in literal language because no one can conceal from one hand what the other hand is doing. I mean, what are we supposed to do? Write a check with our right hand with our eyes closed so that our left hand can check out our right hand? I mean, that's, that's silly. No, the Lord's using the language of exaggeration. It's the language of exaggeration in order to communicate an important truth in a very vivid way. He is actually picturing a man passing on a gift with his right hand to a needy person, and right hand because most of us are right-handed. He's doing it in such a quiet, non-ostentious way that in a sense, not even his left hand knows what's going on. Why? Why is it important that his left hand doesn't know what's going on so his left hand can't join the right hand and start applauding? See, far from blowing our own horn and looking for men's praise, our giving should be so private so private, so discreet, that not even our left hand should know what we're doing lest we seek our own applause. You have to have both hands to applaud. I suppose you can beat your head with one hand, but it's, uh, you know, you're going to get a headache. But the point is that we're not in it for the applause of men, not even our own applause. So make sure one hand can join the other hand in applauding yourself, so make sure it doesn't even know what's going on. That's how private our giving is, is to be. Now, let me explain, lest, lest somebody run with this and take it to the wrong extreme. This doesn't mean that no one should ever know about your giving. In, in our context, in our world, that's, that's really um, next to impossible. And that's not what Jesus is teaching. Some giving cannot be kept completely confidential. But confidentiality and, and, and giving so that nobody else knows, that's really not the point of Christ's statement. His concern is not so much with the secrecy of your giving, but rather with the motivation behind your giving. Do you give for man's applause or, or for God's approval? So, so the issue is, well, now I, I'm, I can never give by a check because people count the money. That's not it at all. The government can't even know because they might. The matter is your heart. When you give, forget it. Don't dwell on it. Don't think there's something great with you, and I hope everybody sees how much I give. That, that's the real issue. That's the issue of the heart. And that's why Jesus closed this section by stating at the end of verse 4, so that your father who sees what is done in secret, he'll reward you. According to Jesus, when we give quietly, when we give discreetly, though nobody else needs to know what we're giving in, in terms of, of an ostentatious show, we can be assured that God knows what we're giving and God knows why we're giving and God who sees in private when, what nobody else sees, he will reward you. Do it for his rewards, not for the reward of men's praise. 
If our giving is motivated by a desire to please him and not out of a desire for man's praise, then the Bible assures us he will reward us. What is he talking about? I take it that, because in light of all the scriptures, I I take it what Jesus is referring to is what the New Testament speaks of later on of the rewards given at the, the Bema seat or the judgment seat of Christ. After we die, as believers, there will be what Paul referred to as the judgment seat of Christ, 1 Corinthians 3, 2 Corinthians 5, and the New Testament speaks about rewards. That's a place, uh, and it's a picture of really what athletes w- would have gotten at uh, athletic events. It's a, it's a place of rewards. It's called the judgment seat of Christ, but it's not about, it's not about judgment of our sin. It's about God evaluating our, our works in terms of obedience. Did we do things out of the right motivation? Were we faithful to him? And if we, if we were, then we will be rewarded. What are those rewards? Well, 1 Corinthians 4, 5 says part of the reward will be praise, praise from him. And then I take it that in light of what statements are made in the New Testament, there will also be rewards in terms of opportunities to serve Christ throughout eternity. We will be rewarded. We will be rewarded. So this morning, we need to consider what are our motivations in giving? What, what are our motives in everything, in anything that we do in the Christian life? Perhaps you were raised in, in a certain church or, or circles that so much emphasis was placed on what others think about you that you're, you now find yourself kind of held in hostage to how others view you. And that's been your orientation and that's, that's been what has shaped your perspective of the Christian life. That's the wrong perspective. That's a sinful perspective. Whoever taught you that was wrong because Jesus said that the issue is the heart and the motivation. So you need to change, and you can. Is your obedience to biblical truths for man's applause and approval, or is it for God's approval? Remember, Jesus sees our hearts. Nothing is hidden from his sight. We need to examine the inner motives for our behavior. Is there anything in your life that you're involved in that's good, that's right, that's biblical, but you're doing it for the wrong reasons? If that's the case, you need to repent. Are you more concerned with what people think about you than what God thinks of you? And we're all tempted in that area, but it's one thing to be tempted. It's another thing to, to do that. Maybe everybody thinks you're such a wonderful Christian, but on the inside, you, you know that you're not doing it for the right reasons. You can change. You can change. You've been given a divine nature, and within that divine nature, you have the power to change. You just need to start now Confess it as sin and begin to check your heart and let the Lord examine your heart and you be honest with yourself and with the Lord about this. And I say, if you've never trusted Christ for salvation, then realize that he sees everything in your heart. You can't can't fool him. He knows all about your wickedness, your self-centeredness. He knows all about your rebellion. And you know what? He died for wickedness. He died for rebellion. You believe that you're a sinner? then you need to turn to Christ and trust him. Not your religion, not your baptism, but Christ and Christ alone dying on the cross for wicked sinners like us. Trust him to save you. Remember this as we observe the Lord's Supper and our leaders will pass out the elements in just a moment. But remember, Jesus died for our sinful motives as well as our sinful activities. So let's thank him for that. I'm going to lead in prayer and then our leaders will pass out the elements. Lord, thank you for reminding us great truth. Great truth, Lord, that you look at the heart. 
You see why we do what we do. And it's so easy to, to fool other people because nobody else is omniscient. All we see is outward behavior. But you see the heart. So, Lord, examine us now. Examine us as believers. For, for unbelievers, I, I pray that they will be uh, honest with you, that they'll be convicted of their sin. But for those of us who know you, Father, I pray that you will help us to really make sure that we, that we give for your approval. We make it our ambition to be pleasing to you and not for the approval of other people. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I'm thankful that the Lord knows our motives and he can help us make them right. Thanks for tuning in today to Verse by Verse, a daily Bible study led by pastor teacher Steve Kreloff, the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Find out more at lakesidechapel.com or call the church office at 727-441-1714. You can also order a free audio CD with this entire sermon by calling that same number. 727-441-1714. Ask for message 4134, The Righteous Way to Give. Today's broadcast concludes this series of lessons from the Sermon on the Mount. To catch up on previous lessons, go to the message archive page at versebyverseradio.org and search for the date you need. That's versebyverseradio.org. I'm Jerry Peterson. On behalf of Pastor Kreloff and the rest of the Verse by Verse team, thanks for listening, and we hope you can be here next time as Pastor Steve takes us through another portion of Scripture, verse by verse. We are here to give you strength between... Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.